A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Trish, uh, we've got mm. a new lodger moved in with us. Oh, terrible, who's that? Terrible lodger. Well... Um, I'll just tell you what this person is like. It makes a god-awful mess, stays up till five in the morning oh, and has moved in, back in with this giant, awful comedy mugs taking up all the room. <laughs> Who do you think? Sounds like your worst nightmare. I don't know. You need to kick them out, though. Well, we have to get spiders out of this lodger's room as well. Okay. She's obsessive. My teenager is back from oh, university. Sky is back. She's back. And you- I had forgotten... <laughs> what it's like I know it's difficult isn't it because you have to kind of park that to one side because you've missed her so much I love her so much and you love her so much but somehow that stuff can so I quite like that that's the lodger that does that and then the rest of it is is sky that's quite nice maybe think about that yeah let's let's view it that way Yeah. yeah let's do that keep our sanity yes hello hello Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Well, I've had some good news this week, Lorraine, on the old midlife menopausal HRT front. Is your uh, Olympic trampoline <laughs> career back? Are there medals in the offing? Well, for the I think the uh, triple circle have to wait. The pelvic floor is not quite back at that level yet, but I'm still working on it. But I actually had I had a bone density scan. And I know you know that I had my first one last year after I went to see menopause specialist, Dr. Shazadi Harper after she came on the show. And she referred me for a bone density scan. Um, it's, it's called a DEXA scan. It costs about £65 to go and have done. But it showed that I have osteopenia in my lower spine, which, as you know, is the start of osteoporosis. Um, And that was one of the reasons I decided to go on HRT as I do not want to be dealing with a crumbling spine or bones later in life. And of course, oestrogen is really necessary to bone building. Well, you are a tiny (laughs) bird-like creature aren't you so what did your DEXA scan uh, reveal right well so it measures your bone mineral density using spectral imaging did you know that and it basically it's very easy you just have a scan of your hips and your lumbar spine and my hips have been fine but my lower back was not but a year on HRT and I'm very happy to report that it's it's improved by 10 percent so the density the bone density in my spine has improved by 10 percent which is great except I'm still in the what's called the osteopenic range so I'm going to have I'm going to be discussing it with Shazadi because obviously there's I'm going to have to sort of think about some other things I should be doing to help improve because there are lifestyle things yeah you're going to have to move off the trampoline and start doing some weight lifting aren't you because strength exercises are very necessary and um calcium as well that helps yeah you do need that do you take calcium well I do so I do and I've sort of 
tell myself that I do strength training, but maybe I probably don't because I do a lot of, you know, Pilates, walking, swimming, uh, and then maybe one hit class a week, but it's it's probably not enough. So I think I'm going to have to ramp that up. Um, but Shazadi said I might also need to take a sort of stronger vitamin D, something called mm. D3 with K2, which I hadn't heard of before, but apparently that's really good to help improve the calcium absorption. So although I might be taking calcium and eating it in my diet, I might not be absorbing it. And that's another reason why you need to take vitamin D. Well, that's all very interesting, isn't it? Because mm. that means you're back on track, aren't you, to being mm. old Trish's young Trish again? Yes, my, that's, my that's what we're going here. Because you do, it does. <laughs> HRT has helped you both emotionally and physically. Mm. And it's a preventative medicine. I think there's something that we need to keep getting across, isn't it? It's yeah. a preventative medicine. Now, we've got some more interesting midlife health insights later on in the show because we've been discovering some really interesting things about inflammation and we've got some expert advice. We have, but that's after our interview with this week's special guest, Rachel Schofield, who is going to be answering all your midlife career dilemmas from dealing with difficult bosses and colleagues to rebuilding your professional identity if you've taken time out of the workplace. And Rachel has actually, she's built her own successful portfolio career in her 40s. She's actually a BBC News presenter. She's also a personal development and career coach. So we'll have lots of great advice and life experience to share. Yes, do keep listening. But first of all, we're going to go uh, back to Culture Club, aren't Yay, we? See what we, we did are. there. It's a bit of a nostalgia needle, Culture Club. Now, I loved your recommendations last mm. month, Trish, because I loved Houston. It was good. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. How good was you and McGregor? Oh, he's in brilliant. That? Absolutely. And how many brilliant. cigarettes do you think you had to smoke <laughs> for the whole of that filming of that? <laughs> and pretend Coke to hoof up his nose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually watched it while mm. I was watching the football at the same time while the rest of the what? family were watching the football. And it was a really odd and surreal switching between what you, oh my goodness, and the what other. You, you had one on the laptop. on my phone while oh, they see. were uh, watching it. Yeah. I have never watched a TV programme on my phone. I don't think I'm I'm ready for that. What I don't do think I will ever watch a TV programme on your phone. It's too small, that little screen, that little screen. I barely can manage it on my iPad, like a big old screen on on the wall, proper telly. All right, Nana. Well, I hope you've got something equally juicy for me this time in Culture Club. Right, Lorraine, so you wanted something juicy. Here it is. Have you heard about physical? It's on Apple TV. I've heard a little bit. Yes. And all I'm thinking is leotards. It's definitely, leotard. definitely yeah. leotards. It's set in Mainly. the 80s and it's got the fabulous Rose Byrne who plays this, um, she's a sort of San Diego housewife and it's set around the early 1980s. And, you know, she's gorgeous. She's married. She's got cute kids. She's got a nice home, but she's actually really full of self-loathing and she she's just got this sort of inner monologue that goes on with all these hateful thoughts and feelings and she's just obsessed with kind of weight loss and, and, and body so she embarks on this journey to a establish a career and be kind of reclaim power over her own body and she begins a kind of Jane Fonda-esque Jane business Fonda. workouts videos all of that is so it funny it's quite funny it's very it's quite dark darkly funny oh, I, like um, dark. I love yeah. rose burn because yeah. she does dark very well and it's actually written by annie wiseman who did desperate housewives and it's apparently based on it's not her life but the, the, the stuff around the eating disorders because she's always battled eating yeah. disorders so i think it's very 
it can be very interesting and dark from that point of view, but also very light and bright with lots of 80s hair and shiny leotards, leotards and leg warmers. Leotards. Leotards. Leotards and leg warmers. Oh, I am looking forward to that. I think you'll find that juice. You'll be watching that on your little phone while they're all Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. What about you? That's because I can watch and walk, you see, on my phone. Oh. I can do two or three things at the uh, same you're time. You're turning into a teenager. I don't like it. It has to stop. What? Oh, my God. What? Oh, yeah, my God. Walking around what? with a phone, watching a TV programme. I can't bear it. But what, now you, listen, what will you be watching on your phone then? I've got something really lovely for you. Oh. Very suitable for my little friend. I've got something about little creatures with the biggest stories to tell. Which Ooh. is that's us, Trish, little <laughs> creatures, the biggest stories in town. I've got a David Attenborough documentary yes. going out on Sky TV in July called Dragons and Damsels. Oh, love a bit yes. of a dragonfly. They're the marvels of the insect kingdom. They mm. have been around longer than you, and I know you are mm. around longer than me. Yes. Me. Um, <laughs> 330 million <gasps> years. Gosh, wow. Imagine okay. that. Yeah, that's a long time. They've been around longer than, they, I mean, they saw the rise and fall of the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and basically this documentary and the trailer is so beautiful they filmed the dragons and damsels over a lake over um, a period of one summer Mm. and they have this really complex behavior which Mm -hmm. is really intelligent and smart so this they're not just little tiny insects they they live in a way a little bit like humans so Mm. i I think you will like that because i will definitely i'd like david i like a bit of a you know nature a bit of a bird a bit of an insect a bit of an animal i'm going to be tuning into that that's really good that's going to nurture my soul and my spirit and also nurturing my soul and my spirit on bbc sounds a little audio documentary about blue Joni Mitchell's album. Oh, I think it must be an anniversary, surely. It is. It's 50 years since she recorded it. She recorded it in 1971. And this little documentary is called Blue, Pain and Pleasure. And it's with Laura Marling and it's on BBC Sounds. It's only 30 minutes. And honestly, if you're at all into Joni Mitchell or whether you absolutely love her or whether you don't know that much about her it's really worth listening to her life story first and foremost there's some really interesting bits of interviews on there with her because she had such she's still alive isn't she she's still alive she was born in Canada she had polio as a child okay and she was in hospital for a year had one visit from her mother and uh, she was obviously she's clearly incredibly gifted and talented was like put down by her piano teacher yeah all the kind of obstacles got pregnant pretty much the first time she had sex had to have her baby adopted yeah all of this stuff and that album in particular is about her third album and it's very emotional it's very raw it's the lyrics oh, the melody it. you you like that album don't you do you like that album i i, I like it it's not pivotal to my musical okay. development okay like wham or <laughs> What I loved about it as well was it's sort of a bit about women at that time and especially women singer-songwriters because they were very marginalised. But she was in the recording studio making that album at the same time that Carole King was making Tapestry, which is... I do like that. That is amazing. And they sang backing vocals for each other. See, I've learned all of these things on this little... And I I just highly recommend that. Yes. You're very knowledgeable. Now, I've been listening too as well to something Mm. which i found by accident is is absolutely fascinating it's a podcast made by a a company called gimlet and it's only available on spotify and it's called the motherhood sessions and 
It's a psychiatrist, Dr. Alexandra Sachs. It's an American one. She's a reproductive psychiatrist. And she gets, they're anonymous, she gets patients in and has the counselling session on air with the patients. And the one that gripped me is uh, one entitled Mum's Not Here. And it was about a woman with three small children who is in her late 30s who suddenly realized that she'd come to this breaking point she, she would have to choose between motherhood mm-hmm. and a career I mean it, it, and she's really honest about all the things she's thinking but it's also got really brilliant subject matters you know how to deal with grandparents mm-hmm. uh, they had a, their grandparents were quite toxic were quite unhelpful in the bringing up of their children they didn't know how to talk to the grandparents okay. about that and they had a lesbian couple who'd agreed one would have a baby then the other would have a baby but actually the other one didn't want to have a baby and she counsels them through that session and there's a chats about guilt it's just really riveting and really relatable it's short as well it's 20 to 30 minutes but you get a real Mm. voyeuristic look at other people's um, Mm -hmm. lives and what Mm -hmm. other women are thinking about all aspects of motherhood so I think I would recommend Mm. that highly that sounds like a good one for sure well I've been reading or I'm about to read a book called it came out last year but it's called Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers and I'm just going to very quick snapshot because I don't know about it yet but it's, it's been highly recommended it's set in 1950s post-war Britain it's about a woman who is works as a journalist on a local newspaper who has to investigate an immaculate conception and apparently it's very sort of quietly humorous and compassionate and lots of lovely consideration about the everyday unfashionable and unloved people of the world <laughs> Is that appealing to you? Are you identifying? Well, it's my <laughs> kind of book. Anything. I like I like this sort of woman. She's yes. about 40, very unfulfilled, living with her old bag of a mother. So I think there's there's a lot, <laughs> lot to unpick in that, isn't there? What about your book? Well, I have been reading Windswept by Annabelle oh. Abbs, ABBS, which is just out, actually. You're going to like this, but mm-hmm. it is a bit deeper and darker than it sounds. It's called Windswept, Walking in the Footsteps of Remarkable Women. Ooh, so okay. Annabelle, it's about the power of nature and walking, basically finds amazing women in history, mm. not women you would necessarily have known, and also sort of the wives of great thinkers and mm-hmm. all people ignored a little bit who took on amazing walks and discovered things about themselves on the walks she goes on a 10-day walk from Bordeaux in France in the footsteps of several historical women she did it when her children were quite small and just left her husband for 10 days with the kids and it's really good so it's history (laughs) but it's also a little bit about how much she loved being away from her family for 10 days. Yes, yeah. um, it's basically women who walk themselves free. And there's Daphne du Maurier, Simone de Beauvoir, Georgia Ooh, O'Keeffe, Gwen John. It's brilliant. That's it's a good idea. I should have come up yeah. with that idea for a book. Oh, I love walking and I love those women. Clever, clever yes. Annabelle. Very good. You didn't know, did you? No, Trish? I didn't. No. Okay. Never mind. Next year. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Rachel Schofield is a personal development and career coach, as well as a journalist and presenter on the BBC News Channel. Married to Radio 2 broadcaster Jeremy Vine and mother to two teenage daughters, the 45-year-old has built a portfolio career that she describes as a bit squiggly and says she experienced firsthand how challenging and slow it can feel to reshape a career, especially when self-doubt creeps in. Now on a mission to help smart women not lose themselves amid the wonders and challenges of motherhood, but instead reconnect with who they were, create a space to take stock and find a realistic way to realise their dreams and ambitions, she is here today to solve your career dilemmas. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Rachel. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat. Oh, brilliant. Now, before we get to your no doubt brilliant career advice, I think we should start with the fact that you you actually got in touch with us because you've been listening to the podcast and you told us a story that really cemented your midlife credentials as far as we're concerned. And we loved it because... I'm sure many listeners can relate to this. So do you mind sharing that little anecdote? Yeah, thanks, thanks Trish. Um, <laughs> I, I really do hope that they are going to relate to this because it was a slightly mortifying story that I chose to share with you or possibly even overshare with you. Mm-hmm. So through lockdown, please tell me I'm not the only one. I had a couple of months and I started to notice that my trousers felt a bit snug, shall mm-hmm. we say. And I kept getting to the end of meals and thinking, I'll just, I'll just pop open that top button. And I, and I started to realise that, hang on, something is going on here. And for context, I have always been so lucky mm-hmm. that my metabolism is good, diets, weight has not been an issue. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting fat around my middle and nowhere else. There is one explanation for this. Clearly, at the age of 45, I must be pregnant. (laughs) This was my first thought. I'm on a contraceptive pill, which is Mm. progesterone only. I haven't had periods for years because Mm. of that, which is a blessing, but also means there's some confusion. Mm -hmm. So I leapt to this conclusion. I didn't even tell my husband. I sort of snuck off to the chemist like, like a guilty teenager. I felt really silly going in and buying this pregnancy test. And I rushed home, sort of heart racing, and I peed on the stick thinking, I'm, I've got a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old and I can't have a baby. And then did it and thought, I'm not, I'm not pregnant. Oh. And of course, the only conclusion left to me was, I have got middle-aged spread. This is a muffin top. This is, this is midlife hitting me right in the stomach. Nowhere else. And yeah, that was my first introduction to thinking the perimenopause (laughs) is creeping up in wobbly bits in the middle. Did you know what perimenopause meant then? Were you aware of the term and were there other symptoms? No, and I think thanks a lot to your podcast and being on the Facebook group, seeing other women's experience and the fact that this is finally sort of breaking through. my awareness has grown. Certainly the peri bit, I thought menopause was all there was. And I still think, although I'm having moments 
where I think, was that a hot flush? You know, because I definitely have had moments where I feel this sudden surge of heat, mm-hmm. but it, but it's so random and it's so unpredictable that I'm really feeling my way. And I think my body is starting to show me changes, but my brain has not caught up and my information level has not caught up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's still research to be done. So pr- programs yeah. like Davina's, you know, mm-hmm. so precious yes. podcasts like this, but I feel like, wouldn't it be great if I could now go to my GP and have a sort of midlife MOT or something mm-hmm. and someone talk me through this? Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we often talk about this life stage being the perfect storm because we're managing families, we've got aging parents, the hormones are going berserk. But our careers and professional identity can really play into our sort of sense of being overwhelmed as well at this time and, and feeling like life's spiraling out of control too. So you're a midlife coach for women what do you notice about maybe the midlife clients that you see definite themes given that I work for context really with midlife mums mostly who have taken time out of work either through choice or necessity to to bring up their family and by time I often mean five years ten years maybe more (laughs) I can probably put money on the fact that when I have an initial conversation with a brilliant woman who comes to me to for help with career return or redesign the two words that will come up without fail are confidence and identity Mm-hmm. massive issues I think for women in midlife particularly mums who've stepped out and feel that their career days are a little bit behind them and I actually knowing that I was going to do this with you I went digging for some of my notes mm-hmm. with clients there are powerful words that come through one woman whose notes I was looking at said I feel vulnerable mm-hmm. I feel diminished and I, I feel I've missed the boat and other people about their confidence said you know, I want to feel I'm successful at something. That was a direct quote from someone who felt like, you know, who am I? What am I doing now? And so that sense of wobble and a sense of what am I all about now that I've hit midlife? What is my purpose? Someone said, I feel like I'm in no man's land. Mm-hmm. And that's not meant yeah. to sound depressing, but I got really interested in this concept I think it probably goes back to Jung, and I'm no psychoanalyst, but this concept of liminal spaces, I don't know if mm. you've come across this, yeah. but you know, this idea of, of that Latin word threshold Lyman, that we're in this funny, you know, midlife, we're saying goodbye to part of our lives, perhaps. And we've had a moment to come up and think what next but it's unsettling it, there's a lot going on there's often children who are giving us teenage headaches as Lorraine will know there's there might be children who are leaving home for some people there's changes in their relationship divorce so that sense of what happened to me what happened to the person that I was and who mm-hmm. do I want to be because it needn't necessarily be a scary time it, it, it is but it can also be ex- an exciting time yeah I think that's a real shame if the narrative around it is finished done with and start again work out but actually mm. it's a really good time of opportunities it's a re-evaluation time of yeah. your life and we could head into it thinking right we know what's going to happen now we do all know more how do you get women into that re-evaluation mindset the more positive mindset where we just ignore the narrative that is often thrown at us yeah and, and I think sometimes it can feel like an uphill battle can't it because that narrative is is out there outside of ourselves and it frustrates me so much that there is that sense of 
midlife women sometimes being a bit invisible or particularly people who haven't worked I think this idea that if you've taken time out you've had kind of time off mm-hmm. or it doesn't count <laughs> so you've had those years which don't and have, have been working, value been working at home absolutely mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so annoying and what I have to encourage my clients to see is this is not time where which was wasted or time which doesn't count it has currency and we have to take back control of that and think what is it that I want to offer to the world as you say it, it can be a time of real renaissance for people is that on the other side of the coin of sometimes the wobbly confidence I think for some women and we all have moments like this there's that sense of do you know what I'm well in my case I'm 45 I'm not 20 anymore I'm sort of over it I I, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about what people think of me anymore I'm sort of a bit I've like I cared. don't care <laughs> so I think in their best moments a lot of midlife women are thinking do you know what this is my moment a lot of my focus until now has been on on family and holding lots of things together maybe now's my moment mm-hmm. and and what I love to do is explore with people what that future might look like so in your wonderful career at the BBC you met your husband Jeremy Vine Am I right in saying he's 10 years older than you? He is. In fact, to the great hilarity of our children, sometimes he's 11 years older than me, (laughs) certain times of the year. So, yes, 45 (laughs) plays 56 currently. Because when you get old and when you get to midlife, numbers are really quite significant, aren't they? Turning 40 is significant, turning 50 Mm. is significant. How has that worked with you and how has that changed that dynamic in midlife? That's a really interesting question because I think when we first met, it probably felt like more of a gap. I think I was probably 24 and he was 35 which didn't feel to me I rather liked that they had a sort of sophistication about the older man and as somebody who was probably slightly an old soul myself I've never really been a party girl but yeah the age difference I think initially felt sort of a bit weird to other people maybe I think probably my parents when I was 24 and said I've met a man who's 35 probably thought "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. no I think as we've got older we're in a great place at the moment because we're both in good health it doesn't seem at all weird I wonder whether that will change he does sometimes go oh my gosh I'm going to be 60 soon was it always straightforward or easy to keep the kind of personal out of the professional and and vice versa when you were both working at the BBC full-time we were really lucky I think I mean you hear of people don't you who work with their partners or work in family businesses Mm-hmm. Who, I could who not re- do that. I could you? Really? Yeah. I think if it, yeah. uh, we've never worked directly together. Mm-hmm. So when we first met, um, I was working. So Jeremy was in news. He was on Newsnight. I was working initially in London on things like Woman's Hour and you and yours as a reporter. So we weren't in the same bit of the BBC. And by the time I went into news as a presenter, he'd moved on to Radio 2 and was being a DJ. So we never had that sense of it's creeping in and and we're in the same office or we need to get bogged down in office politics. So moving on to careers now, because we're going to be addressing some of the uh, queries on our Facebook group. But for anyone who's interested in either getting a career coach, doesn't know anything about it, or wants to kind of look outside of of their own network to get some careers advice, tell us how coaching works and what maybe are some good resources that people could look at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as a career coach, I think the first thing I always say is I don't sit and give people advice. I'm not a career advisor. I'm not a career counsellor so it's not like when you're back at school and they say what do you, what you know what do you like and then they say tell you you should be a librarian or something mm. a career in old co- people's home that's what yeah. they told me is that what you got yeah are you still working on that <laughs> I don't think I'm very caring well this is the fun yeah maybe there were there were elements missing so what you're doing with a coach is not coming to someone who's going to give you the answer 
because ironically part of the problem often when you come to the point where you want a career coach is you've had too many suggestions and pieces of opinion from people where do you find them though where is there an organization what's the practical side of it there can be some great organizations like women returners would have their own set of coaches if that's the sort of if you're thinking particularly about going back into your old industry and you want to to think about that. But it's good to find somebody who's accredited. So there are organisations like the ICF, the International Coaching Federations, who will right. have lists of people. Because you get on Instagram, the world and his wife is a coach. And I think Everyone's it's great to know that you're talking yeah. to someone who's been properly trained. It's a partnership, essentially. It's creating a space to help people, I guess, with three pieces of the puzzle, one of which, the first one, really importantly, where I would spend quite a lot of time with someone And I would encourage people doing this on their own to do this first. And there are lots of exercises and things you can do is work out who am I and what do I want to do? What often happens is people try and jump. They get to the point of thinking, I want to do something. What is the job title I need? What is the job? And that is a huge jump to try and make, partly because you might well not know what jobs are out there. There's a lot of reflective work to be done, which a coach can help you with because they ask challenging questions Mm -hmm. and get you really exploring. But things about what am I good at? So what are my skills and my strengths? What really matters to me? What are my values? What do I need in work to to be fulfilled? You know, am I all about fun and freedom? Am I all about purpose? Am I, if I'm honest, all about wealth? Am I about autonomy? So these pieces of the puzzle, also what interests me? I think a lot of people in midlife actually have lost sight a little bit of that, of that, what what do I really enjoy doing? There's the other piece about what are the ideas that I've got that I sort of have been sitting on for a long time, but I can't quite bring myself to articulate because people will tell me they're a silly idea and who am I to do that? And a coach will help you generate more ideas based on this blueprint that you've come up with. And then the final piece of the puzzle, and again, where I think a lot of people come unstuck, is you've got to get off your backside. You've got to get into action to start exploring. And and the key to that is to start exploring your ideas in a risk-free way. The worry people have is often they say to me, but what if I do the wrong thing? What if I've jumped the wrong way? So the answer to that is, well, how can you investigate whether this is the right career idea for you without, you know, signing up for a three year degree in psychotherapy? Then six weeks in thinking, oh, golly, I hate this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who can you talk to? Who can you shadow? What taste a day can you go to? How can you sort of stress test this idea? You say you want to run a you have your own cafe, you know, have you ever worked in a cafe? Have you ever had to do that all day? Did you like it? Because the idea of something can be very different from the reality. So you do that with a coach, but there's nothing to stop you doing a lot of that on your own. So we have had lots of lovely listeners contact us on the Facebook group with their career dilemmas. Are you ready, Rachel, to tackle some workplace wobbles as Trish has called it in the little script here so okay first of all Donna says this I am a partner in a national law firm and though I'm content enough in my firm and career I would love to move into a role at senior leadership level strategy operations in the charity sector not necessarily doing a legal role it's really hard to sell transferable skills in a market that is already saturated with top applicants I'd like some guidance on how to go about making change into another sector and another role She's already involved in um, charity work and she's a school governor, Um, but she thinks that when employers and agencies see her job as a solicitor, she is dismissed out of hand because she's not applying for a legal position. Mm. How does she overcome that? 
I really feel for Donna there because she is trying to do the double whammy because Donna's trying to change her role and her industry. She did say there that she wasn't sure that she's not prepared to do a legal role initially. I think trying to do both at once, and I'm not saying don't try, and I'll have some advice on how she can, but initially think about how easy a jump that is to change both role and industry at once. Mm -hmm. And is there a transition that you can make? So an example comes to mind. You're an accountant and you want to be a wedding photographer. Now that's quite a big jump. But if you want to train, first of all, as a photographer, maybe you change role, but you don't change industry. So you train as a photographer, but the first thing you do is not go and sell your services to brides and grooms. You use the network you've got and think, okay, I can work with people who are setting up their own accountancy firms who need headshots and brilliant pictures of them being a fabulous accountant. And when I've built that up, then I build the connections going, but all these accountants have children getting married. And So there's a transition. So I'm thinking for Donna, although she's hesitant, does she first of all take her legal skills into that other sector and then start to think, how do I shift into that strategy operations Ah, bit? Good point. Because it's hard. But, But I think if she wants to do the double whammy, try and get out of the formal job market. The websites where you have to apply and you just submit a CV are not your friend if you're making a career change or indeed a career return often, because it's sort of computer says no, as Donna's found. They don't get you. This hidden job market, the fact that around a third of jobs are not advertised Mm -hmm. is where you're trying to tap into. Your friend is going to be real people your friend is going to be getting out and having interesting conversations who are with people who are in the sector that you're targeting, going to industry events, asking people to have a coffee with you, starting to build connections and networking in a different way because you need to shift yourself into a position where you will make interesting collisions and mm. finally get people yeah. to understand, okay, you're a lawyer, but you've got other ideas and you've got great skills, but you mm. need a platform for that that isn't a dry CV going into a computer where someone goes, nah, I don't get it. Great. We okay. can get Trish into lion taming then, can't we? <laughs> Absolutely. We might have to transition her, her through she's seals. She's Margot the cat. <laughs> Margot yeah. the cat, yes. <laughs> or could we build starts her up? Margot. Sheep, sheep dog yeah. herding exactly. and then gradually. Yes, oh, exactly. just, yeah, the sky's yeah. the limit on this one. Right. Sally has contacted us to say she would like some tips on dealing with imposter syndrome, how to stop overanalyzing requirements in job adverts for fear of being exposed in an interview, even when you know you could do the job standing on your head and then kicking yourself when somebody Mm. massively less able than you gets the job because you weren't brave enough to apply. That's quite classic, isn't it? Yeah, imposter syndrome, I think, strikes us all, doesn't it? Mm. Essentially, it is that whatever you call it, your negative inner voice, your gremlins, your, excuse my French, shitty committee that Mm -hmm. sits on your shoulder and says, you can't do that. And you probably, no one will take you seriously. I think really common, particularly for career changers and women returners. And the first thing to note is your brain is geared that way. It's really good to to look at the idea that this isn't your actual brain helping you not as you know it, but your brain has a thing called negativity bias. Mm -hmm. And it's a sort of evolutionary blip. It wants to keep you safe. And it's still stuck in the period of saber-toothed tigers and the savannah. So it wants to give you all the bad stuff up front to keep you safe. It needs you to spot that there's a woolly mammoth trundling towards you. So you need your spear. So your brain tends to front load the negative thoughts, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? So good to be aware of that, first of all. And therefore, when you get this sort of chatter that goes on in your head, you want to get curious about that voice and go, okay, 
I hear that. But is that a fact or is that a belief that I'm being offered by my brain? What evidence do I have for the fact, as, as Sally said, that, you know, you, you're not going to be able to do this job because what happens at interview when they expose you is sort of thinking, is that thought helpful to me? Is it serving me? And if not, and I don't have any evidence for it, how can I reframe that belief? How can I look at this differently so that you take the belief like, everyone else applying will be way better than me and you replace it with something far more constructive and I'm not this isn't sort of crass platitudes like oh I'm practically Michelle Obama they should be biting my hand off for this job it's mm-hmm. not that but it's it's thinking okay well, I think <laughs> absolutely why not but it, it's that thing of okay this firm is not out to trick me they want to find the right candidate I have great credentials I have the potential to be that person. So I need to throw my hat in the ring. So you need to, to push back against mm-hmm. that voice. And it, it, it's, it's not the work of five minutes. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's a challenge daily for all of us. Yeah. But it's really going, mm-hmm. my voice is offering me not a fact, but an assumption to be challenged. And I need to get in the habit of challenging it. Now, I've got a really good one here, which speaks to the point of confidence that you mentioned earlier. So Christine says, a very close friend of mine was a director of an SME and has a successful track record. However, the owner of the company completely undermined her for years. Her confidence has been destroyed. And for the sake of her mental health, she left without another job to go to. Now she hasn't worked for six months and she doesn't know what to do. How can I support her and help her regain her confidence? I really feel for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what a lovely friend in Christine to think. I need to step up here and, and support my friend. When I hear the words mental health as a coach, I'm not a psychotherapist. And I do always say to people, check in that it's not something that's beyond you. Does this person need more support? But yeah. I think just as a friend, confidence, I think, comes from two main things. The first one is belief in our own competence. So belief in our own skills and abilities. And of course, what's happened to Christine's lovely friend is those beliefs have been chipped away by that horrible boss. And so she needs to reconnect with that successful track record that Christine talks about. She needs to help her friend replace those negative pathways that have been created in her brain by the boss and think, okay, that was, that was the view of somebody who was not basing that on fact. They were a horrible bully or whatever it was. I need to go looking for the actual evidence that shows I'm really good at this stuff. So pushing back against the lack of positive thoughts and helping her friend collect the evidence that she needs to think, actually, what am I really good at? Where can I find great evidence that I've got these skills and abilities? Who can I talk to from previous jobs who will remind me what I was great at? Checking in with your own CV and thinking, I achieved that. And not just work. I think work can become so defining of us. It's great to also check in with what you're really great at in your family relationships, in the work you do, in your community, in the hobbies you have. What are your unique abilities? And I think the other place where we gain confidence, ironically, and I think a lot of us get this wrong, is through action. We often think, when I feel more confident, I will do X. Mm -hmm. But actually, we need to realize that confidence comes from the doing. It's actually when you step into something and find that it wasn't a disaster that you gain the confidence. And then we've got Melissa, who is definitely feeling quite overwhelmed. She says, midlife pandemic, single mum, work stress, difficult boss, all of these things tied together leave me feeling exhausted. I know I need to give myself a break, but the SHIT just keeps coming. I have a small window over the summer with some time to myself. Do I take some leave to give myself time to rejuvenate all the while the work 
keeps piling up? Or do I tackle some of the work deadlines so when I take leave, I have a chance to fully relax? Sounds like she can't see the wood for the trees, poor Melissa. Absolutely, I know, poor Melissa. And it's almost like I hear your question, Melissa, which is do I take leave now or later? Mm -hmm. And in a way, and I'm not trying to dodge this, but it's almost like only you can answer what feels right. I'm hearing words like I'm exhausted, I need to rejuvenate. So I Mm -hmm. guess my instinct is maybe it's time to to give yourself time out before things get worse. But I also hear that you're worried that it will creep back in. So Mm -hmm. really, I think the underlying issue here is about the bigger picture. How do you get change to happen so this doesn't keep recurring because Mm -hmm. my worry is even when you take your break as you said you then reconnect with a a life that hasn't changed again I don't want to make it sound simplistic clearly there's a lot going on but I think looking at the issue of boundaries and thinking what other patterns in my life that are causing this so in the work setting what particular colleagues or clients or what office practices are causing me the most stress what's going wrong that makes the workload get out of control and how can I raise that or deal with that or make changes this may be simple but some people still don't have boundaries that they've set either verbally or on the bottom of an email with colleagues Mm -hmm. saying you know I will answer your email tomorrow because I'm currently out of office, things like that. And and finally, I think in those conversations with, with people, be that a boss or colleagues or even our own family, the default as we get more and more stress can often be when somebody gives you another thing to do is just to sort of say, I can't manage this, it's too much. Mm-hmm. But that, that doesn't help you. I think to take back control, I often say to people, trying to give the facts. So when the when the boss says, right, you need to do this and this and this, and you think, oh my gosh, there's no way, present the fact. So you say, not I'm really stressed, I can't do it, but that's fine. If I do X, I won't have time to do Y. So which is the priority for you right now, boss? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I can achieve both of those things, but they won't be as detailed as normal you know, what if John was to work alongside me on this and then the result will be better? I know it's not always that straightforward, but I think for Melissa, aside from getting some time to just whew, draw breath, yeah. you know, there's a bigger problem that, that yeah. she needs to find yeah. a way to try and tackle. She could also ask for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that often happens when you're overwhelmed. You're just getting to just do it yourself and feel like you can't ask for help because people may feel like you can't cope, which would undermine other parts of your life wouldn't it yeah and that's what I think that thing about control it's not saying I'm not managing but it's saying okay this is how it is with the kids you know that's fine if you want me to come and do this for you but that's going to have this impact so what's more important or what can you do to help us make sure that happens you're right getting other people to help you with the solutions and rather than thinking you are at the center of of making it all right Mm -hmm. well yeah if you're a single mum there might be people who can help you at home Mm -hmm. to give you half an hour in the morning you know that Mm -hmm. kind of Thing. Mm-hmm. We've had some great posts from listeners who've also taken like the plunge these. and done something brave and bold with their career. So I'm ju- we'll just quickly read these out. So I love Virginia. Virginia. You should read Virginia because it's swimming related. Oh, you read Virginia. Listen to what room. she's done. She's so brilliant. Virginia, she says, I just wanted to let you know that it's never too late to restart. I am 61 and started my dream job at our local Lido on the 29th of March. Lifeguard at the iconic Bath Hotel Lido in Matlock Bath. Absolutely 
absolutely loving it outside all day swimming every lunchtime surrounded by happy smiling people that's what swimming people are they're always smiling just off now for a 9am start and I can't wait follow your dreams that's brilliant brilliant yeah and Angela says I have resigned from my job and 30 year physiotherapy career and have been accepted onto a farming and agriculture course I am excited scared and exhausted that's brilliant isn't it yeah go them and it just goes to show doesn't it that the two sides of the same coin takes us right back to the beginning it can be scary but oh hell it can be really exciting yeah yeah (laughs) and just to finish off because obviously not everybody can afford coaching there's a lot of resources I know you sometimes do uh, sessions free sessions and things but any books or any resources that you would really recommend for somebody having a career or TED talks whatever absolutely absolutely I think that first piece that I say people want Mm -hmm. to do about what they're good at and what their skills are and also asking themselves which of those I enjoy because just mm-hmm. being good at something doesn't mean you love doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, online, for example, a really easy place to start that I start with my clients is go and do a personality or strengths finder test. So for free at truity.com and mm-hmm. at 16personalities.com, you can do a basic test that just helps you reconnect with Ooh. where your natural abilities lie. If you're prepared to pay 20 quid, you can get a more detailed one at Gallup, mm-hmm. the Clifton Strengths Assessment. So those are really good. bit of inspiration. Um, Scott Dinsmore has a great TED Talk on how to find work you love. Books-wise, lots of things out there. But the classic, old school one, but still a lot of gems in there. It's an oldie but a goldie. What Colour Is Your Parachute by Mm -hmm. Richard Nelson Bowles. And a a quirky one, actually, that's come out more recently, which is called Designing Your Life, Build the Perfect Career Step-by-Step. It's by two Stanford professors, actually, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. Weirdly, they weren't career specialists they're design engineers which sounds really dry but they take the process of career design and they overlay it with what you would do if you were designing a new product sounds like it wouldn't work but actually it takes you through many of these same steps about what am I really good at what do I want to do what's going to work they're really big on that how do you prototype your idea how do you stress test it Mm -hmm. because one of the biggest messages that I try to get through to my clients who want to make a change is you cannot think your way into a career return or a career redesign. A lot of people hide in the land of Google Mm -hmm. and they think I can research this. And as we know, because we've all got friends who've who've been saying for years, yeah, I think I'd like to go back to work or I think you've got to get into action. So you've got to find these ways to take your idea and give it a go. And that can feel a bit of a weird place to go. But if you do it in small enough steps, the journey of career change is where the magic happens. It really is brilliant. Well, I'm going to get out and do my lion taming then just to keep the rain happy. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rachel. So much useful, practical advice. It was lovely hearing your story too. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. I hope it helps people because there's so many fantastic midlife women out there. The world needs to see you. Welcome listeners to our popular How to Win at Midlife section of the podcast. Now, I've made quite a significant discovery this week, young Trish, and I really think what we're going to share here is quite the nutritional and actually lifestyle game changer. Yeah, when you told me about this book you've been looking into, I was really intrigued and fascinated because we were contacted by a friend of Swedish science journalist and biologist Maria Borelius about the writer's book Health Revolution, which was a number one bestseller over in Sweden. Yes, it was. And the subtitle of 
of this book is Finding Happiness and Health Through an Anti-Inflammatory Lifestyle. And it's basically a plan for a holistic approach to living well by reducing inflammation in the body. And as you know, inflammation occurs when we are ill. So when the body is ill, we are out of kilter and the affected part of the body is inflamed. Like when you cut yourself or get an infection and the skin goes red and becomes inflamed. So this can happen inside your body too. Yes. So if you get a virus, say, then you would have a short burst of high inflammation while your body sorts out the virus. But what we're understanding more and more now is that often we can live with long-term low-key inflammation, which has a really detrimental effect on the body and may lead to disease. Yes, that's right. I mean, I really had to unpick this um, when I spoke to Maria because it's very complicated in many ways and so many factors affect inflammation and indeed our tendency to get ill. But basically what she concluded, and she went through all the studies because she's a science journalist and she's a trained biologist as well, yeah. and she interviewed all the experts at the top of their field about the ailments we face. And what she concluded is most of the ailments we face as we age are made significantly worse if we have high levels of inflammation in our body. Yeah, and the immune system is all over the body, talking to all of it. So the more inflammation there is, the more the immune system is struggling to keep us well. Maria's book has sold 200,000 copies in 14 countries, she told me. And I have to say the advice in it is actually really easy to follow and really sensible. And you sort of wonder why the medical profession hasn't joined up the dots, because basically mm. that's what she's joined up the dots. And she's recommended a kind of more Ayurvedic, holistic approach um, than we've really seen before. And we tend to really treat the symptoms of ailments and medicine today and she's saying let's look at everything around it and join the dots up and her book is about preventing and reducing inflammation in bodies okay so what you're saying after reading the book yeah. is that we can stay healthier by reducing inflammation that's the kind yes. of simple Be uh, version yeah yes. and, and we liked maria's story because she found out all this in her mid-40s when she was struggling with perimenopause symptoms That's of right. fatigue aching joints low mood and she had a chronic bad back as well didn't she and she wrote a really great piece in the telegraph uh, about it this april so you could look that up if you want to find out a yes. bit more maybe if you don't want to buy the book at this stage but should we get specific here about what yes, we can all do what our listeners can do to get their mojo's back in midlife and reduce inflammation here we go so this book it's called health revolution boils down to three things eat foods that lower your inflammation do some form of short intense exercise each day because muscles speak to the immune system according to the research mm -hmm. in the book and number three seek stillness and feel awe which Ooh. um reduce is that it's gay i guess meditation mm. reduces your stress and get yourself into situations where you're joyously amazed and that often happens in nature mm. she's got a very simple three-day plan in the book with dietary advice and little recipes to kickstart this and actually it's really easy and i'm going to start it this mm -hmm. weekend and it's really about adding things in rather than taking a sort of rigid depriving yourself approach yeah. you can still have red wine at the weekends <gasps> oh, Trish, and your little cocktails. okay little cocktail so, gin martini mm -hmm. can i tell you what your tell me what i've got to do foods yeah. are Omega-3 foods, so that's fish, nuts, seeds, anything mm -hmm. rich in bacteria, full-fat yogurt, kombucha, that kind of thing. And kind of the rainbow of colourful yeah. food, because in those more colourful vegetables and fruits, there are phytophenols, so peppers, berries, green vegetables, and that is really good at reducing mm -hmm. inflammation. Now, interestingly, she also recommends fasting, but not 
intermittent fasting for for days or 24 hours just taking really much bigger gaps between food so that your gut can recover which helps reduce inflammation so say you eat dinner at seven then don't have anything for breakfast till 11 the next day not every day but on the days you're just so that's more than 12 so 12 is a minimum but you should try and do 12 would be minimum yeah Yeah. okay Um, i mean the key thing that causes inflammation particularly with the gut is sugar you really need to reduce (gasps) sugar my Um, little dark chocolate cake and in the afternoon it's gonna have to go isn't it yes yeah and if you have fruit which has obviously got sugar in it then add a protein to it as well so that the way you metabolize the sugar in that is different you've got to reduce lactose and gluten as well because that causes bloating so if i have fruit i've got to add protein that's not like have an egg with your fruit what could i have i'm thinking well nuts and seeds of course yeah so have some nuts and seeds with your fruit yeah that's a good idea Mm -hmm. that's working for me it's on my list yeah okay so keep a diary Mm -hmm. have your dinner 30 minutes after it find out how you feel if you feel heavy then maybe cut whatever that food is out of your diet now i did sense check all this with jane clark our nutrition guru who's really been studying this for many years and she said basically what we're trying to do with our diet is calm down bodily functions Mm -hmm. and what she was also saying is fluctuating hormones when you combine where we are today as women fluctuating hormones dealing with an enormous amount of stress in midlife post the covid um pandemic actually last year lots of women dealing with a lot more stuff all of our ailments we're seeing as sort of treating them separately we could be treating them all together with a healthier diet and Mm -hmm. lifestyle a kind of calmer lifestyle so the book is really specific it does tell her story and it has lots and lots of recipes Mm. in it so it's worth getting i think or worth looking at anti-inflammation anti-inflammatory foods yourself and Mm -hmm. lifestyle yourself and researching it jane's done quite a bit on it we did have her on the podcast last year how do you feel that this would weave into your life because i know you were taken by it when i talked i was indeed yeah i mean i i think the sugar thing for me is going to be the the issue but i do i know every time i shove a bit of cake in my mouth i'm like but i i bet this diet as well probably it's not a diet isn't it but this approach is probably good for weight as well and the old sort of midlife yes top situation i bet that's going to really well she says in the book she had a terrible muffin top she couldn't move at all but yeah. um, when she removed bread basically essentially yeah. things with heavy on gluten the bloating stopped yeah. for her um, yeah. and she just had so much more energy uh, interestingly she is on hrt maria i asked her because she right. said those symptoms of perimenopause were unbearable for her but what it really cured her back she mm-hmm. had chronic back pain but yeah. i guess the key is it's all linked isn't it and we yeah, think it isn't course. but it is and the yeah. brain talks to the gut and yeah know. and i think as you just to reiterate the three steps of this eat foods that lower your inflammation do some form of short intense exercise every day and seek stillness and feel awe yeah the three together but i suppose as you say it's meditation it could be watching your dragonfly documentary i think that might make me feel a bit of awe and calm and all so so there's all sorts of different ways you can do it but if you stick to those three principles and think each day how am i gonna do these three things that's quite good i I think i can do that we'll give it a go i think you can do it right it's nostalgia noodle time lorraine is your noodle going to fill me with some awe today yes everything i do fills you with awe. <laughs> you know that <laughs> <little> trish. 
Now, I'm going to take you all the way back to 1984 ish. Okay. Time. Yes. Um, do you remember the Radio One Roadshow? Of course, I remember the Radio One Roadshow. Yes. Which basically, in those days, was a caravan with a stage. <laughs> And it used to go to beaches all around the country. Yeah. Actually, interestingly, it started in 1969 in Newquay is where they started. And then they ended in 1999 in Brighton. But shall I tell you why I'm mentioning the radio? Did did you go to one? Because I know you grew up in Cornwall. I'm thinking you went to one. I did. um, And I know I went to one because I've got photographic evidence, which I found the other day. (laughs) Wasn't a dream or a fantasy then. No, it was real. No. There's a picture of me and Peter Powell. Oh, Peter Powell! <laughs> which uh, was in the Cornish Times. In the, you made it into the Cornish Times? Oh, Peter I wrote Powell. about it in the Cornish oh, Times. You wrote so what about happened? It. Hang on, how old what are you then? was, Go as on. we say in Cornwall, I look so hopeful and happy as well, Aww. Trish. And I was 16, maybe, and it Can was we... on my summer interning in the Cornish Times. And basically, I was sent to cover the Radio One Roadshow. And I think it might have been in Loo, which is sort of southeast Cornwall, which is very near where I grew up. Um, and I'm very young, very happy. None of this, Aww. look at this, none of these lines. <laughs> oh. here, none of that. But I just, I mentioned it because it just felt like such a carefree happy time I did google to see if the article was somewhere online I googled Peter Powell and Lorraine Butler which was my name then and unsolved murder in Truro came up which (laughs) (laughs) which made me laugh I don't know what the link was there was a butler in there I can't remember did they actually have bands playing or was it just they just did basically a radio program from they did the radio program from a caravan yeah in the the 80s it was the radio program so Peter Powell had the Radio 1 breakfast show between 84 and 88 when he was married to Anthea Turner of course yes exactly anyway so that is where I was I went hopefully back to my hopeful teenage years can we put Um, that picture on the Facebook group no oh, <laughs> that's no good why not i'm in the rain butler <laughs> where did you go back toddling I back in went, time i think i may have been late 70s i was trying to work it out but basically i was remembering when it was almost like we must have won the pools or something because my sister and i got given a little black and white portable tv as a christmas present to share in our shared bedroom and it was no very in rooms no well no, no but no back then it was like now. it was brilliant and it was tiny and it had one of those sort of ring aerials metal aerials that you had to sort of bend and we were forever breaking it off it was hopeless and you'd only have things on late at night like the rockford files do you remember those Yeah, (laughs) and maybe Colombo if it was a really bad evening. But what I was thinking about originally was the pong game. You know the tennis, the little black and white. World's most boring computer game. Oh my god! But we got. I don't. We must next Christmas. We must have been given that to go with our TV, and um, you plug it in, and it's literally just. It's like a little cursor, wasn't it, that you had at the edge of a tennis. Yeah. And you just hit the ball backwards and forwards. I don't, don't think it moved off the baseline, but the only thing that made it more exciting was you could make the ball go a bit faster. Can you imagine? Play it upside down. Can you imagine? <laughs> exactly. Flying upside down. Oh, maybe Playing. that was it. Was that, yeah, that would be the way. But I just thought, Could imagine we just, if you um, gave that to Wind back now. to the joint present. Yes, go on. So, so you and your sister got joint Christmas present? 
Yes, we would have been because you couldn't give that because we shared a bedroom, you see. So you couldn't give one of us something like that and the other one a tape report. It just, but you know, so we, we got it together. We were delighted, I tell you. With that. And how did that work out TV. between the two of you? Well, <laughs> knowing the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, because in those days, there wasn't even Channel 4. It was ITV, BBC Two, which would have been Open University, and or the Pong. BBC or Pong. So it, there wasn't much rowing potential. That was great. That's what was great about it. So there we are, back to the late Gosh. 70s. So easily pleased at yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. We do like getting reviews. I like the serial reviewers who review everybody. And tell everybody how awful they are. Yes, they yes. do bring me great mirth. Yes, we morning. have a laugh. They just say awful on everybody's podcast. <laughs> so why are they listening to them? Exactly. It's a bit mad. But if you download your episodes, that counts on our listener numbers. So that's really helpful for us too. Yes. And if you do want to contact us, you can contact us on hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. You can look at our new brand spanking new mm. website, which groups all of the podcasting topics. So it's really easy for you to look for something if you really want to find it. And don't forget to join us on our Facebook group or our Instagram. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.